Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. And no one would argue that people are perfect. We're all imperfect and that means we've been hurt by imperfect people. The Bible offers a clear, compelling vision and effective solution for how imperfect people like you and me can maintain peaceful relationships in an imperfect world. Today's message is called Learning to Forgive. And Pastor Sean is wrapping up this series called The Letter. It's time for Real Life Radio. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philemon. That's where we're going to be for one more message, as Mike shared with you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this series. I know I have. This is, a, this is a unique and strategic book because it's about something personal. And I think that's significant because most of the stuff we address with people, whether in the church or outside, is interpersonal. It's not necessarily structural or organizational. It's personal. And this is a personal letter. We saw it all begin with the idea of family. Paul's writing to Philemon about Onesimus. But in that letter, he uses these phrases, brother, sister, talks about father. And that would have seemed odd to them because they weren't related. But Paul is bringing this idea of you are family. And we saw the strength of the church is the bond of family. Remember we, the next week we talked about reputation because Philemon had a very good reputation for being a follower of Jesus and being a leader in the body of Christ. And we saw our reputation really matters. We said your reputation matters because it's how you're known and more importantly, how your father's known. For many people in the world around us, the only thing they know of Jesus is what they see in Jesus' followers, Christians. So our reputation matters because it's how we're known, but it's also how our father is known. And then last week, uh, and this stretched a lot of folks, we talked about authority. We talked about authority. We talked about how all authority comes from God, and we saw that leaders are the visible representation of God's authority to God's people. And we took that, we talked about civil authority, talked about authority in the family a little bit, but we then talked about spiritual authority, because Paul exhibits a strong spiritual authority to Philemon. And we saw that there really is a very healthy, and it's a biblical gift of God in appropriate spiritual authority. And I don't know about you, we had a great conversation in our community group about Kind of, what does that mean? How do we walk in that? How do we appropriate that gift into our lives? It was excellent, excellent conversation. So now as we kind of wrap up, I want to suggest that at its core, this book of Philemon is a letter that's fundamentally about forgiveness. Everything else, we've been making observations of what Paul's saying in the course of the letter. But now we're going to get to the crux of the issue, and it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge issue. Almost anybody I talk to, at some point, they're going to come up, if, if we get and start talking about deep, about spiritual growth, about emotional things, this issue of forgiveness is going to come up because it's a challenge. Lots of people carry this weight. I grew up in, uh, as you know, a Sicilian family in Chicago, a Sicilian family, and we weren't big on forgiveness. Chicago Sicilians just aren't. I mean, you know, revenge is a thing. It's real. And, you know, obviously some of my family became Christians and we kind of grew and we got better. Okay, thank God. But early on, it wasn't that way. There really is, a, in the Sicilian culture, this thing of, fine, you get me, just wait, I'm going to get you, you know. And it's real, it's there. I remember when I was a, 
Actually, I was told the story because I, it was, I, I remember vaguely certain things about it, but don't, you know, I was probably five years old at the time. Uh, we grew up playing polo, equestrian sport. And, uh, polo, you'd have the, you know, the games, and then you'd have afterwards, you'd have dinners and things like that. And it was at one of those polo kind of parties. And uh, somehow I was running around with some kids and whatever, and one of the adults made a statement. The guy was a little drunk, and I... As a five-year-old, I it might surprise you, I had a pretty big voice, so the guy was able to hear me. I made some comment. I commented on something. And he'd been drinking a little too much. So he thought it was inappropriate, so he slapped me. My mother, of course, freaks out. But my dad's Sicilian, so he doesn't freak out. He just tells me, you shouldn't have done that. And we leave. No big deal. Next time, in a polo game. This, this, is, this is a true story. <laughs> my dad goes riding alongside the guy in a play, stops his horse, swings his horse into the guy, his horse's head goes right over him, sweeps him off his horse, knocks one of on the ground. My dad simply looks down and says, don't ever touch one of my kids again, and he rides off. <laughs> that is a true story. <laughs> and as a kid, when I heard about that, I thought that was the most awesome thing I'd ever heard. I'm like, my dad is Clint Eastwood, my gosh. Then I grew a little older and became a Christian. And I realized, that's not good. That's not good at all. You can't do that. I mean, still thought it was cool as a kid, but now as an adult, I'm like, oh, man. And, you know, my dad has become a Christian, so he, he doesn't really walk in that kind of path anymore either, so that's good to know. But it was like forgiveness was not kind of one of our better things. There was almost this warped virtue, and we're going to settle the score. And I don't think that's just a Sicilian thing. I think lots of people kind of walk around with the scorecard that they're going to settle. We've come to know there's all kinds of kind of information out there, all kinds of things about forgiveness, how unforgiveness is just unhealthy. It's just broken. It doesn't work. It's not good for you. I mean, there are more than a thousand different scientific studies that talk about the effects of unforgiveness versus forgiveness. U.S. News and World Report had an article called How to Forgive and Why You Should. Letting bygones be bygones isn't easy, but it's good for the body and soul by Angela Hopps. And her big idea was that clinging to hurts and betrayals and disappointments is bad for you, body and mind. She quotes Ryan Howes, who's a clinical psychologist, who says, forgiveness is a vulnerable act that can feel like it opens us up to more pain. But we need to have a way to process and let go of the effects of injury, or we risk serious physical and emotional consequences. She says, forgiving those who've wronged us helps us lower blood pressure, cholesterol, and heart rate. Did you know that? This is, do you know I was going to be giving you health advice today? This is good. One study found that forgiveness is associated with improved sleep quality, and that obviously has a strong effect on our health overall. Letting go of old grudges reduces levels of depression, anxiety, and anger. People who forgive tend to have better relationships, feel happier and more optimistic, and overall enjoy better psychological well-being. This is not a close call. There's all kinds of research to support this. Psychologist Robert Enright is quoted in the article and says, every human being on the planet has been injured by another's injustice. I think that's a true statement. We could all say every one of us in some way has been injured by another's injustice. And how we respond to that 
can make all the difference. Dwelling on negative emotions makes it more likely to displace pent-up anger, lashing out at a friend or family member. Forgiveness helps quiet anger so it doesn't spill over onto innocent others. Have you ever had that experience where you're like in a conversation with someone and you know this just got ramped up to a place where whatever you're talking about doesn't warrant it? It's like, oh, this whole thing's coming out of you. You're like, this isn't about me, is it? And you realize, no, there's some anger, some resentment. Tell you what, I experienced that as a pastor. You'll be dealing with people, and they're walking through something. You kind of deal with an issue, and all of a sudden something comes out, and you realize, okay, this is not about like us and this issue right now. This is about dad. This is about anger that you've been carrying with you your whole life. Or this is about mom, or this is about that that boss or whatever, whoever wronged you, someone in authority wronged you, and you've been probably dumping that on every authority member, authority figure's desk ever since. And it just spills out. It hurts. She says, if you're bent on holding grudges, you may be so wrapped up in past wrongs, you can't enjoy the present. You may feel helpless or like it, life is meaningless. You could jeopardize future relationships. If you don't get past some of the wounds of the past, you tend to bring them into everything else you pursue. We stay a prisoner of our worst experiences. Imagine staying a prisoner of our darkest days. Even if things are better, doesn't matter. We're carrying this weight. The Mayo Clinic kind of weighed in, and they published an article, Healthy Lifestyles, and just talked about the benefits of forgiving someone. And they said it, Forgiveness leads to healthier relationships, greater spiritual, psychological well-being, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, stronger immune system, improved heart health, higher self-esteem. And that's the Mayo Clinic, okay? I'm bringing real authorities in here, all right? I, I think it's probably something we would all say, yeah, we get, and yet, okay, how do we actually do forgiveness? That's what I love about Philemon, because I think Paul gives us the secret to how to forgive. Okay, it's one thing to say we should forgive. And that, you know, some people need to establish that. In fact, a few weeks ago, Nathan Rasbar, our youth pastor, shared a great message on forgiveness. And, you know, I recommend if you miss that, go check it out because he gives some great kind of input on why we should forgive and on how important forgiveness is. But we want to take that and kind of take a step from there because I think Paul gives us something here in Philemon that is the secret to how we do that. Because some of us have experienced the reality of, okay, okay, I want to forgive. I go ahead, I forgive, and I say I forgive you, and then I realize I was lying because I'm still mad. And I forgive again, and then I'm like, okay, good, it's all, all good, we're good. And I'm walking along, and then I start thinking about it, and then I'm mad, and it's like, I can't let go of this thing. I think we're going to discover a secret this morning. And let's take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church. The series is called The Letter, and if you'd like to hear the full message or even watch the video podcast from Pastor Sean, it's available right now on demand on the sermons page at the River City website called reallife.org. And if you'd like to come check out River City Community Church, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. 
I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. And back to the message, Learning to Forgive. This is Real Life Radio. I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. I'm going to reread some of the same. Obviously, it's just a short book, but I'm going to reread some of the same material to set this up. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, as it is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now notice what he says here. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Verse 18, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I'll pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. We'll stop there. Now, what we don't have in the letter, and this would be cool to have, and we just don't, we don't have Philemon's response. You know, I'd like that letter. Philemon's letter back to Paul. What would he say? You know, based on Paul's confidence, I believe Philemon probably responded really well. But this had to be a difficult thing. What kind of things would Philemon have said? Yeah, but, but Paul, you don't know what it, yeah, but if you understood this, but he'd have a lot of yeah buts that he could bring into the conversation. Don't we always? There's always two sides. But that part didn't make the canon of Scripture, so we'll just have to speculate, right? We'll just have to assume that he did respond well. But in verse 18, Paul anticipates that there might be an offense, a serious offense, and that Philemon might have two legitimate issues because he says, if he's done you any wrong, if he's wronged you, And then he says, if he owes you anything, he's done you any wrong, if he owes you, charge it to me. Done you wrong. I mean, most of us walk around with some sense of someone has done us wrong. And there's this sense of injustice. You should have treated me better. I deserve better. You owed me better. So we've been wronged and that can just fester and build up in anger. Or someone owes you something. You can literally tangibly say, because of what you did, I lost this. I should have had this, but I didn't. I lost years of my life. I lost money. I lost my self-respect. I lost a relationship. I don't know. We, we, but we obviously have some very tangible sense of loss, and our, our feeling is you owe me. 
And Paul addresses that by saying, if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And I want to suggest in that simple little phrase, Paul is showing us the pathway, how to get out of this prison of unforgiveness. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The secret to forgiveness is dealing with the debt. The secret to forgiveness is dealing with the debt. And it's written on those screens right there. Okay. <laughs> dealing with the debt. See, unforgiveness is all about carrying the debt. It's about carrying the debt, isn't it? There's a sense of they owe me, this is what they owe me, this is what should have been, this is what happened instead, and so there's this debt. We can say it's behind me, it's over, but it doesn't matter because there's a sense in us of justice that says, you owe me. And there's this debt that's got to be dealt with. And we might sit and do all the mental exercises in the world and say it's in the past, this, that, you know, whatever. Happy thoughts. But until we deal with the debt, it's always going to come up. There's always going to be this thing. The secret to forgiveness is dealing with the debt. In Matthew 18, Jesus deals with that a little bit. In fact, Nate referred to that passage. Why don't you turn over there? I want you to look at that again. Matthew 18, I'm going to pick up at verse 21. We read that Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, we have to understand something. Peter's asking for clarification because of a conversation they just had a few verses earlier in Matthew 18. You remember what the conversation is. It says, if a brother sins against you, you're supposed to go to the brother. You're not supposed to gossip about him. Not supposed to ditch them, cut them loose. They sin against you, which is going to happen because we live in a world with sinful people. We live in a fellowship with imperfect people. It is what it is. It's going to happen. So in Matthew 18, we're supposed to go to them and appeal to them, show them what's happened, and seek restoration. And it says if if your brother repents, you've won your brother. If they won't repent, I don't care what I did to you. Nah, you're whacked. You go to them with two or three others, a small group. Still, you're protecting your brother, but you're honest, honestly and openly confronting sin. But you're keeping it private. Because if, if he repents, you've won your brother. Excellent. It's teaching us how to deal with offense in the body of Christ. If he won't repent then, and still there's this hurt, there's this offense, he says then take it to the church, which really it's talking about church leadership, not every person in the church. But take it to church leadership and let church leadership whether that be a, your small group leader whether that be one of the pastors because it's a it's something that's existing in the body and it's going to bring division it's going to bring hurt and that's how you handle offense so that they won't turn and repent then treat them as an unbeliever in other words okay well we're not operating by the same set of rules here we're not and you, your fellowship with them is different now but the whole idea all the time is to win your brother, to restore the relationship. And that, that's what Peter's asking qualification, clarification about. So he's, how many times should I actually forgive? Because he's been living with these guys for three years. He's like, dude, you know, I've already forgiven Philip like eight times. You have to understand, when Peter comes and he says, how many should I forgive seven times? He's being generous. Because the consensus 
in the rabbinical writings in the Talmud is like three times. That was kind of the sense of, yeah, you, you got to go back and forgive. You got to go back and forgive. But their consensus was kind of three times. Peter, knowing Jesus is really gracious and trying to kind of position himself here, says, how many times should I forgive Jesus? He doesn't say three times like the rabbis say. No, he says seven times because I'm so generous and gregarious. Seven times and Jesus looks at him. Yeah, how about 77 times, Peter? And understand, Jesus isn't just given a new number here. He's blowing Peter out of the water. And he had to stun Peter with his reply, because this is not light. He's talking about real relationships. Some translations have that as 70 times 7, but the most likely translation is probably 77 times. Either way, Jesus' point is dramatic. And what he's saying to Peter is, Peter, we dare not keep track of the number of times we grant forgiveness. That's what he's really saying. He's not saying, no, you just need a bigger notebook because you're going to be keeping score for a little longer. He's saying, Peter, we can't keep track of the times we forgive. He says, if you're counting, all you're really doing is working your way towards legal unforgiveness. You're just looking for when it's legal for you to be unforgiving, which is what's really in your heart anyway. Because if you're counting, if you're keeping score, you're just looking for the point. Okay, Jesus, when am I? Because I want to blast them. Is it okay now? Oh, no. Okay, so now? Jesus says you're missing the whole point. And he illustrates it with a story, a story we're familiar with. Kind of an offensive, shocking story, actually. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. That is a ridiculous number that Jesus threw out. Okay, 10,000. Imagine right now, 10,000 bags of gold. What's that worth? Billions? It's a fortune. A man who owed him a fortune was brought before him. Since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. He didn't just give him the time he needed. He didn't just give him more time because it was a ridiculous debt that could never be paid. He canceled the debt and he let him go. Now the story turns, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. It wasn't completely insignificant, but it was a much more normal person-to-person kind of debt. He owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Jesus inserts the exact same words that this servant had said just moments before. Be patient with me and I'll pay it back but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, which, of course, is ridiculous. How's he going to pay the debt? He's not working. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, we read this story, and the thing that stands out to us and the thing we focus on is the injustice here, right? We identify with the other servants who the scripture says were outraged. How could he do this? And and we get indignant. How clueless was this guy? But that's not Jesus' primary focus. Remember, he's answering Peter's question. 
We can't forget Peter's question. He's answering the question regarding the limits of forgiveness. So he's answering Peter fundamentally with a question. In other words, how could a person who's been forgiven so much be so unaffected? How could he not be different because of that experience? How's that even possible? He says, if you're counting to Peter, you're as clueless as the unforgiving servant. If you're counting that hundred pieces of silver, you're missing the whole point. Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio in a series called The Letter. But if you'd like to hear the full message and the series, it's available right now when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church located on Lookout Road. See all the details, directions, and service times also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262 as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.